You are now listening to a new episode of Canadian Growers, hosted by Matt and Tiffany Whitney. Hey growers, today Matt and I have a guest with us, Winston. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, yeah, thanks for having me. (laughs) All right, Winston, let's get right into it. So I I guess my first question is um, your education and where you come from and your background. Um, Could we start there? Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I come from like a a small farming town. I definitely grew up like as a rural kid, a 4-H kid, you know, good old beef 4-H. Um, and I think I, I developed like a really close connection with with food systems there yeah. for sure. Uh, I worked in horticulture all through high school, decided to go to school. I got a degree in biochemistry and a minor in biology, kind of focusing on plants because plants are always my passion. Um, didn't really want to end up in a lab, so I fell back into horticulture, been doing some tree farming. Um, kind of found my passion for hearty fruits and growing hearty fruits and and have have built myself into that niche here uh, in Alberta and just kind of learning as much as I can from the community and and um kind of translating that into like expert consultation that sort of thing especially especially on the fruit trees but just kind of around growing growing of all sorts with my my background I think that experience I have actually hands-on in horticulture is a lot more important than than the formal education for sure okay for sure that makes a lot of sense so like uh with you talked about like the fruity heart tree uh, sorry fruity (laughs) hearty fruit trees my goodness (laughs) that was a mouthful um what kind of varieties of apples and things like that can we grow in our climate yeah we can grow a lot of things like and there's so many like i i probably have a list in my collection of close to like 50 different apples okay Um, so there's a lot of diversity but you have to you have to pay attention to what grows here, not exactly what you want to grow here. Yeah. So and for that little bit of planning and stuff is always <laughs> key. Yeah. Okay, right? yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, like a lot of people love Honeycrisp here, for example. It's a it's a name people recognize. Yeah. You can buy them in the stores. They do great in like the Edmonton microclimate of zone four, but outside the city they don't they don't quite thrive as well. But we have very, very similar varieties, like one of the, the grandparents of of Honeycrisp being this variety called Sweet 16. It does super well here. And it's mm-hmm. just that kind of one zone hardier, but it's basically the same thing. You just right. gotta, gotta plan, make sure you're being realistic about your environment. Yeah. I'm curious about another thing too, is like, um, I know a little bit about um, apple trees and a lot of it comes down or stems from why they don't do well here is the the root system. So how do you, how do you mitigate yeah. that? How do you, how do you, how do you zone three A or yeah depending on where we well it's it's kind of your roots are like the foundation of a tree Mm -hmm. um they're important they're they're where all the water and nutrients and everything comes up if the if the roots aren't healthy the tree isn't so you need to make sure you're using really hardy rootstocks here um which some of the commercially grafted stuff coming on a bc may or may not be on um the hardiest rootstock and sometimes they don't really even know exactly what batch of rootstock that that one that got shipped to edmonton ended up on so you might end up with like a a mauling series which is Kind of more like developed for milder climates it's not as tolerant as of heavy soils um i really like to work with either like siberian crab seedlings dolgo seedlings like good healthy vigorous seedlings that you're screening for vigor before you even graft them or um like the the budgovsky i believe it's like the bud nine bud one bud 118 like that series from russia it was bred for a very similar climate as ours and it tolerates heavy soil super well it doesn't really slow it down as much but yeah that's that's an important decision too because 
you might be able to, you might be able to find really cheap fruit trees out there, but whether or not they're even set up for success is is the question. Could you could, could we dive a little bit so audience that don't know a whole lot about mm -hmm. grafting and like the I guess the root system? Yeah. What 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 are the reasons behind it? Yeah. So apples and a lot of fruits outcross, so they don't come true from seed. Um, okay. Basically, you can think of every single apple and fruit tree as a hybrid in the same way that like the seeds are not going to be at all like the parents um because it essentially is it's a it's a hybrid on almost every level of genetics and um so unless you're cloning that plant you're not getting anything like some varieties will kind of throw fruits that look kind of the same but you're you're rolling the dice on vigor hardiness fruiting time um flowering time chill hours to stay sleeping during the winter so unless you unless you really want to roll the dice on things you have to clone that fruit tree and the way that people do that is is grafting you take a, a rootstock that you know is going to perform well in your conditions you take any variety you know is hardy enough for your conditions right. and you combine them ah and then okay. you get uh, yeah a recipe for success right gotcha right. yeah makes a lot of sense cool. <laughs> yeah it's, and it's kind of like magic like it like a lot of times I just feel like I'm taping sticks together <laughs> and I feel a little crazy, but then like a couple of weeks they start waking up and you're like, Oh yeah, this is why I do this. This is really cool. That is pretty yeah. cool. <laughs> and then to dive a little bit more into the process of what is it, what does it take to graph? Like you talk yeah. about taping and stuff like yeah. that. So what is your, what yeah. maybe your steps? It's like a, it's like a day surgery, right? Like it's not super serious. <laughs> okay. So that's, you know, the plant just, you put a bandage on it, it. It's good to go. Uh, but you, you basically need, uh, whatever you're grafting on, so either the scaffold, if it's a large tree, it's called a scaffold if you're just adding onto the branches, or you right. call it a rootstock if you're literally just using it for the root. But you need that, and it needs to be slightly awake. So usually end of April, early May here is great grafting time. You're waiting to see bud break, ideally. You want okay. sap flowing. You don't want your, your scion, which is the piece you're grafting onto something of that variety you want. It's called a scion. Um, you want that to have nutrients and, and moisture as soon as possible. So you want the rootstock, the scaffold waking up, and you want the scion as dormant as possible because you want to find this middle ground where um, as soon as you do the graft, it's going to start re receiving moisture and nutrients, but it's not losing any water yet. And in that time when it takes to bud out, it's already healed, and then there's enough water to supply actual leaves and, and support growth, right? Timing is right. a big key in this. Timing's a big key because if you yeah, have you can kind of luck out sometimes, but we often get very hot maize. Um, like we kind of yeah. go right from winter into summer. Mm -hmm. So um, it's you have to have the highest chance of success is like that sleeping scion, very dormant scion, which you just collect that anytime during winter, store it. Um, some people still store slightly below zero, but even right. just the crisper in your fridge usually does the trick for most varieties, just gotcha. in like a Ziploc in your crisper and it stays sleeping in there. Yeah. That's cool. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, one of the things too, um, Winston and I got connected through, um, Instagram. Instagram, yeah, yeah. Instagram. Yeah. yeah, so that was that's actually a few people that I've found that way that we've connected and and had similar passions in in the growing world and how that came to be is um this food forest project that I've yeah. got going on, right? Yeah, so, it caught my eye for sure. Yeah. yeah. And I, I showed a picture of like the overall um design and drawing of it. Um so that was kind of a neat thing and when we got connected, I was I was inundated with all this information that you guys are <laughs> yeah. as are right now. And, you know, I don't know a whole lot about, um, you know, fr uh, fruit tree varieties or apple trees and stuff like that. So to have Winston on here and just to 
to pick his brain and to um, get a, get his point of view on um, you know good placement, different varieties, what works here because that's that's the trick. You don't want to just plant something and then cross your fingers. You want to you want to have some level of certainty that where you're plan. putting the yeah. plan and that's actually going to segue segue me into my next point is is the plan matters. Yeah. And the reason why I brought up the, the food forest is that we came up with a plan and then I was able to discuss with Winston because I had this this physical thing that we could both look at at the same time mm-hmm. and um, go after um, go after like I put fruit trees. Oh, sorry, I put apple trees down, but I didn't know what variety of apple trees to put down. Mm-hmm. I know that I like Honeycrisp, but I don't know if they would work well <laughs> in uh, my climate. So no, these are all no. these, all these types of things <laughs> were brought up, and I was able to um, yeah pick your brain. Yeah, it was yeah. Awesome. Well, and it's I think you guys like the plan caught my eye. It's always great to see people starting with a plan. I think that's always the first step and a very high level plan. Like you said, like there's not varieties marked on your plan, but that's the variety is one of the last decisions you make. Yeah. It, it's awesome that you took the time to like get a proper plan. You actually know your dimensions. You know how the drainage is working on your site. Um, you can start to identify like the sun exposure and those microclimates. And that's right. that's the important things in the end. The Like I said, the, the varieties and the actually putting the trees in the ground is the very last step. It's it's the first step to another process. But, yeah. but that, that plan, if you don't do the plan first, like trees and perennial systems like that are fairly permanent. There are a lot of work to put in or move. (laughs) So you don't want to have to be shuffling things down (laughs) the line. It's also not the best thing for the plants either. But yeah, yeah, that that plan, I think that's super key for sure. Definitely. I was like, well, let's talk about like the the beginning steps of gardening. Yeah. Yeah. So the beginning steps, I think it's the first step is always just to start, (laughs) start somewhere. I think a lot of people, especially these days, I I find so many people are so nervous to fail. Um, You have to be, ready to maybe fail when you're learning Mm -hmm. something you might also luck out um but you you just gotta start start Mm -hmm. somewhere um a plan of any sort whether scribbled on a napkin something super formal um like your guys's your guys's plan for the food forest Mm -hmm. but like a a plan a bit of a planning stage like an ounce of preparation goes a long way (laughs) a long way like you have to know there's a lot of research to do and there's so much information out there but even if you just focus on like one little thing at a time like find out with find out what does grow well here find out what your neighbors grow find out what your parents grew find out um like make a list of what you want to grow and then figure out if those things actually will grow here or or find somebody who is growing them and, and kind of learn from that and and don't grow things you're not going to eat either. yeah yes yeah. yes <laughs> i yeah like it's That's always our <laughs> i had a whole bed of celery yeah. last year i'm like why did i do this I need like one celery plant in yeah, the summer. Yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah, like grow what you eat. Pay attention to what you eat and grow what you eat. One of uh, the big things that I've noticed with uh, fellow gardeners, you know, being in the planter, building planter boxes and stuff mm-hmm. like that, sometimes I get feedback from people, uh, fellow growers, mm-hmm. young growers, new growers, um, that they over plant. So they, yeah. let's say you have a four by eight plant uh, planter. Yeah and you don't use any type of square foot gardening mm-hmm. or you just kind of do the you know there's there's two in my mind there's two types of people the type of person that researches and and analyzes and the other person that just kind of yeah. <laughs> throws it in the wind yeah. and sees <laughs> sees what sticks right yeah um the second way or the latter of that is there's some challenges with that and a lot of i've seen pictures and i've talked to a lot of growers um that you know they 
don't use square foot gardening and the fact that they load up their boxes and they choke out plants and yeah. they don't get the type of yield. So that's another really important aspect of it is know what you're growing and know what it takes. Yeah, Cause like a tomato, yeah. Yeah. Cause like a tomato takes at least needs at least a foot and a half of space between mm -hmm. the next tomato plant. Well, and that's, that's a really good important, like when you're starting, when you're planning, when you're figuring out things like spacing and yeah. planting time and stuff like that, like definitely, you can play with those things down the road after you've got your feet under you. Like you, yeah. you kind of need to get a sense for gardening first. Like it can be a very like intuitive and, and organic process, but, but the most, the highest chance of success for somebody starting out is for them to have a guide or a framework of some sort. And, and square foot gardening is a really nice one of those. Yeah. I, I really, I, I think they do a great thing with spacing, but I think the most successful piece of square foot gardening is, they have that tenant where like when you take something out you put something in like you're not leaving your soil bare and yeah. you're also always amending like and you're amending at a set rate you're like i know i'm going to plant this many plants here so then i need to add this much compost or this right. much rock dust or mm -hmm. you know what i mean that is like that's one of the big things in a lot of successful sort of growing models is that you if you're taking you also have to give mm -hmm. a little bit and yet it's quite about gardening line uh lays it out really clearly for yeah. beginning gardeners. Yes. It's just a lovely That's place. where we started. Is, yeah. So I would say that's a really good place to begin. Mm -hmm. uh, YouTube is a plethora of really yeah. good information yeah. for that. So <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Yeah, that so like yeah, starting gardeners, definitely a little bit of plan. Start for yeah, sure. You gotta start. you gotta <laughs> you gotta make some mistakes. We were talking about this earlier yeah. before we started recording, but I Anybody who can grow things well didn't get there without killing anything. Yes, those are uh, yeah. it's, there are casualties in this uh, business. This casualties in growing. Yeah. yeah, so you don't be afraid. Like you're gonna kill things, and there's sometimes it's your fault. Sometimes it's it's nature came along and just crushed your dreams of growing peppers <laughs> that year or something. But uh, yeah, don't be afraid to to make some mistakes and learn from them. Keeping a garden journal, keep yes. documentation. Um, the amount 100%. of times I, I keep a garden journal, I could be better at it. The amount of times I've gone to go plant like say my second sowing of green onions, like sometime in April. And I'm like, when did I plant those last year? And I'll open up my garden journal. I didn't write it down. If you write it down, you can repeat those successes or you can learn from those mistakes. Right. Like a, yeah, garden journal is fun. You can scrapbook it. You can get as creative as you want. It can just be something like a bunch it of sheets good, shoved yeah. in a duotang or something, but a, a documentation of a little bit. Um, you don't have to be crazy formal, but it, it, it really helps. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely. Good point. That uh, journal actually makes a lot of sense in what we've seen in the last two years, because we had talked about this before. Yeah. So having a journal allows you to know, like, for example, two years ago, that amount of rain that we got, mm -hmm. and then the next year, the last amount of heat year, that we yeah. got, the, yeah, you know what I mean? And, and, and certain things would do really well in the heat, and there's certain things that would do poorly in the yeah. heat and then allowing to have those varieties of things like for example if let's say we get the heat that we got last year cherry tomatoes will do really well mm -hmm. if we get the rain that we got two years ago beef steaks and romas will do far better than yeah than the yeah or like my spinach didn't bolt at all that really rainy summer yeah like, i just kept exactly. cutting it over yeah. and over and over again so, but nice. last year yeah so there is there is variables in gardening and, and that's that's a really important part is if there is variables and if you're taking the scientific approach it is really important to have a journal yeah yeah and and we are we're at the mercy of nature as gardeners yes. yeah. and alberta weather and climate patterns are just erratic they always have been um 
it's a different conversation talking about climate, but um, you just have to be prepared for kind of any summer to come your way. Mm -hmm. but, but if you if you've learned from how things went in previous yeah. years, you can Wrote you can pivot, you can adapt on the spot. We yeah. always kind of have to be really adaptable as prairie gardeners, I think, because it's our climate is changeable and it's harsh. Like we get extremes. Yeah, we do. So you have to, and there's only so much. Like I say, let's let's make a plan, but you can't actually plan for the absolute extremes. You have to have some of that flexibility yeah. built into what you're doing. Right? That's a great point. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh yeah because there's always room for failure there is right yeah. Like yeah. experimenting plan for yeah it. yeah and we were talking too about like that efficiency it's it sounds terribly formal to start using math and stuff and gardening but that's sort of 80 20 20 rule right, right. Like if you if you've had success with something or you know something's going to succeed with like a high probability like put the most of your energy, the most of your resources, your space, your money, that 80% of what you got, put it into that thing that you know is going to return mm -hmm. and then play with right. that other 20% because everybody can, you can always afford a 20% loss. Mm -hmm. um, you can't afford a 50% loss mm -hmm. or, or greater, right? right? So it doesn't even matter if you're thinking about it money-wise, it's just extremely discouraging. It is, you, I was just going to say, if you lose 50% of your crop, Yeah, like like you were saying, don't don't put all your energy <laughs> yeah. into Brussels sprouts or something yeah. like that that you've never, ever grown before yeah, or that exactly. people struggle with in this climate, right? You want to take those success stories and kind of replicate them from yourself, experiment with that, yeah. Yeah. It, it definitely makes a big difference when you... And start, like you said before, start with stuff that you will eat. Yeah, too. start with what you're going to use because that's more rewarding too. There's nothing worse yeah. than like having a whole box of radishes and you hate radishes. It doesn't matter, how, doesn't matter how lovely the radishes yeah. are. <laughs> they grow well yeah. here. But... <laughs> you don't want, yeah, like if you don't want them, don't, don't, don't grow, grow them. And yeah. don't grow lots of them. Yeah, yeah. yeah try to plant a little bit. You want to plant some radishes for your neighbor or something, sure. But don't plant <laughs> too many. Or yeah, like radishes is just yeah. an example, but... Like, or something like I'm a like, zucchini. I was just going to say yeah. zucchini. <laughs> Zucchinis are always great to share. If you want to share plants of zucchini. Yeah. Because yeah. you're always going to have That's more of those than you want. That's a good place to start. Grow <laughs> zucchinis. Grow some zucchinis. Yeah. And, and two, don't be too caught up with, if you're just starting, like, don't be too caught up with thinking you have to grow your own seedlings. Like, that's a journey in itself. Yes. If that's too daunting for you, buy some transplants. Yeah. Like, go, go to a local greenhouse, pick up some nice, healthy transplants. Um, skip the whole... Um, figuring out lighting and that sort of thing. That's a great skill to learn yeah. as you grow. You can step gardening. into that though. Yeah. yeah. You can step into can that. Step if, into if, that. If, yeah. if growing is your thing and that you enjoyed you it that right year. It. Yeah. And if you want to, I think down the long road, you yeah. probably save more money on the seedling side of things, but yeah. that's also a capital investment that yeah. Tiffany and I have felt that this year. Like lights, yeah. buying lights aren't cheap, buying grow tents, you know, doing those things do and, take a financial toll yeah the scale in the step the scale the yeah. stage you guys are at that makes sense yeah like you've, you've, we you've didn't taken the training wheels yeah. up yeah yes. <laughs> you're, you're you're going forward with it i think sometimes in a lot of different aspects of gardening or orcharding or any of these like kind of fields i i am in um people get caught up on like what is a gardener and what isn't a gardener a gardener can be anything like yeah it, it doesn't matter if you only like to grow flowers you're still a gardener yeah. it doesn't matter if you only grow tomatoes you're still a gardener it doesn't yeah. matter if you buy your tomato plants at walmart you're still a gardener right yeah just don't get hung up on those details yeah, yeah just grow, just I, grow. I, i'm gonna touch on that too is i believe this is people love putting people in boxes like telling people that you are this or that you know you can with gardening you can start in one place and transform your ideology like for us we typically we grow vegetables 
in the next probably five years, we're going to try to grow everything that we can grow in this climate. That's, yeah. that's one of that's my, that's one of our goals. Yeah. It's a big awesome. one, right? To yeah. see what can be done. Like that's, um, it's a daunting task, but it's something that, um, we try to achieve. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, like when you were mentioning that, that 80, 20 rule, yeah. that's a beautiful rule to follow by. And it compounds, right? Yeah. It's like, yeah. even if you, if you, of that 20% new things you try every, even if only half of those are successes you get to add, eventually you just have 100% successes, yeah. right? Like, I mean, to, yeah. to, 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 to a certain degree. extent, but like, yeah, it, it compounds like, and then you always are getting a step ahead some way because you're still for the majority succeeding in what you're, you're yeah. putting your energy into. Cause it's, um, it's a labor of love. And I, I love being out in the garden. I love oh, moving yes. dirt around, digging the holes and stuff like that. But it is all—it is your energy. Yeah. So you have to be—you have to be careful with budgeting that too. Not just budgeting money in the sense of gardening, but yeah. budgeting your effort and and your yields. Too. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's a great point because, like, uh, without without with you saying the eighty twenty rule, mm -hmm. we were um, attempting to do that along with um, the food forest and the garden that we have. So we have thirty boxes next to my shop, where that's going to be all our proven, um, our proven growing techniques, yeah. everything that we've learned, what we want to grow, what we yeah. want to grow, what we want to eat. But the fun part of having the space that we have, uh, with the food forest is we get to use that 20% rule too. Yeah. So we get to grow different varieties of things that we've never grown before mm -hmm. fruit trees, apple trees, things like that to see where there is successes and where we can expand on it so and once you put an apple tree it does take time for it to mature so there's a, there's a um uh, a time management aspect to it right you yeah. gotta yeah you yeah. gotta you know you're putting that you <laughs> yeah, know you, that apple tree in or you'll, you always wish you planted them like one year sooner yeah um, but it is important to get all that planning and site observation then too but yeah you you have it's interesting like it's awesome you guys working in both like these annual veggie systems and building the perennial system because yeah you're going to be kept entertained and, and interested yes. occupied with the the annual cycle while yeah. you're, while you're seeing over like probably periods of five years you'll see major changes in the in the food forest which right. is yeah. really cool yeah. yeah and then like we mentioned it before the microclimates too because yeah. you're yeah. also changing the is it the topography of of your of your mm -hmm. land yeah, in a sense, yeah. right? So yeah, you just have like quite a slope there, and yeah. it has like it's like a water catchment, right? Yeah. And mm -hmm. and you're gonna like experiment with that that topography and the hydrology of the land. Like, yeah. where do I want to catch more water to water this row of currants I planted, or where do I want to make sure there's really good drainage for my sour cherries? And yeah, stuff like that. and like as you tweak that stuff, yeah, you'll see the system respond right. to that. That's, mm -hmm. that's right. gonna be really really cool. That ebb and flow type yeah. aspect to yeah. it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, we talked about microclimates. Um, they're big on the prairies. When you're talking about anything that needs to survive a winter, especially microclimates are like absolutely key. So thinking about microclimates for small plants or things that are herbaceous, just grow from the roots every year. There's no woody pieces to them. Um, like you can add like two or three zones under a snowbank. Like you guys have along like the northern edge there, there's still 10 inches of snow in some places. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's probably a zone five microclimate for a herbaceous plant. Whereas the bank on the other side, the south bank that's bare right now, when mm -hmm. it comes to a herbaceous plant, that's probably leaning more towards your zone two, even like there's a like kind of a three zone swing in your in, in your area there. Yeah. yeah. And then when you're thinking about winter shade, um, our sun angle changes so much 
uh, at these latitudes between winter and summer. So you can pick sites that are shaded all winter to keep your trees from heating up and from waking up too soon. Mm -hmm. But then as soon as we hit here, um, which is an interesting, we're actually at a really interesting point in the yeah. year. Um, your, your shadow length right now is exactly the same as your shadow length in September when we're trying to finish all our crops before the right. frost comes. So this is a great time of year to observe your shadows and see where they are. Whereas like about a month ago where your shadow lines are is where you want to make sure those more tender trees or things, things prone to winter injury, like your stone fruits are. Um, but yeah, you can kind of like, just observing the site, right? And finding those microclimates. Look, think about snow cover, think about moisture, think about right. hours of sun, think about, um, you can create shelter even more, like you can plant shelter, you can build shelter. And if that cuts the wind a little bit or causes the snow to drift on that south bank even deeper, like if you guys were to put a wattle fence in or something, right. might drift a little bit on the side of your driveway too, which would be a little bit annoying. But if you could build a snow bank on that south bank, that would be like the best of both worlds too, right? Right. Yeah. That is so true. You, you can modify microclimates. It's it's easiest to work with ones that you discover, but you can create them too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Um, talking about microclimates, there's probably one more topic that we can hit. Mm -hmm. um, is with the prairies, um, yeah. you know, there's a lot of um, farmland and etc. But mm -hmm. the, the we don't see a lot of forest areas. So mm -hmm. um, talking about microclimates, hopefully I'm not getting too vague on this, but um, creating microclimates and sometimes in the prairie can be difficult. So yeah. what are the 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 challenges and what are the, some of the things that you can do to yeah. grow those systems? Yeah, step one is always shelter. And, okay. it's, and it's often, it's undervalued and overlooked. Like we just think of trees as trees, but they mm -hmm. provide so much in terms yeah. of like wind and weather shelter. Because even if it's like the most perfect little site, um, if it's only sheltered from kind of two opposing directions, you get the wrong like summer prairie wind. And it can lodge your fruit trees that are laden down with fruit, right? Or just blow all your fruit off right. the tree, which is not great. So I always try to create um, shelter from like on a corner, right? Mm -hmm. Like you want windrows. Kind yeah, of. yeah, windrows, shelter belts. Um, you want to like usually we're looking at sheltering from the north and the east here, or like, but if you as long as you pick two sides that connect, you can create shelter. Because if you just do north and south, you can still get east-west winds and, right. and vice versa. Um, Walls, walls don't really help when it comes to wind. Um, like wind tends to go up and over and actually get faster where it touches the ground in the middle of your orchard block if you create a wall. So you're looking to create baffles. Um, you want like the wind to filter through it rather than like speed up and go over. Gotcha. Kind of. So go yeah. over and back down. Kind yeah. Of. So sometimes you'll see what seems like the perfect shelter belt, but maybe those trees are actually too close. And if you were to cut every other one out, you actually have more shelter than before okay. so it's kind of interesting and and airflow can be important for frosts and stuff in orchards too so you always want to think about like creating and allowing air movement but not um but 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 shelter at the same time it's a bit of, it's a bit of a balancing act yeah um like the the ufs has some really great um if you look on their websites like some really great sort of shelter belt materials so does the there was the indian head research station they have a lot of stuff out there about creating like eco buffers and, and shelter belts on the prairies and 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 um really important to focus on those pioneer species like i love oak trees i love broadleaf maples yeah. you can't use those as shelter belt species in our climate 
you can maybe go in and plant your spruces and your hybrid poplars and things that grow fast and are super winter hardy, and then come in and add a third row of more tender things 10, 20 years down the road. Uh, but you have to pick appropriate species, like things like your lodgepole pines, okay. your spruces, um, golden willows, laurel leaf willows, all your hybrid poplars, some native poplars too, like balsam and stuff like that, if you want to work wholly with native species. Um, just sometimes those those hybrids have that extra bit, that quick growth and that utility that's it's worth kind of going towards something that's maybe not quite as natural, but you're going to get your monies back for sure. Right? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Makes a lot yeah. of sense. So like appropriate yeah. plant, appropriate place. Don't plant a wind, uh, windrow of apples. They're not going to take that. that yeah. That root <laughs> right? yeah. Yeah. Like, they, they could be the third row maybe. Gotcha. Yeah. The row. But yeah, don't, don't go with like your dream kind of maybe finicky plants as your workhorses, right? You okay. just kind of got to divide those guys. Yeah. Good to know. <laughs> makes sense. This makes yeah. sense. Wow. This was a, uh, very informative and i think we packed a lot of really good um thoughts and approaches to um you know growing on the prairies and uh some of the challenges that we we see and can overcome so yeah. uh like again i really appreciate you uh taking this moment to uh <laughs> You know, have a chat. It's yeah. been fun. Yeah, yeah I like thanks. I like walking around, and kicking the mud, and looking at plants. It's fun. Yeah, it sweet. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, thank you. Until next time. Thank you for listening to another episode of Canadian Growers. If you like what you're hearing, please like, subscribe, and review.